This episode is brought to you by the Metasearch Institute. What happens when patients' cases become too complex to solve in a typical 30-minute visit? Well, you've all had those super thick, super deep patient histories nobody's looked at in a long time and gone back through. Well, I'll tell you what happens is those patients bounce around from doc to doc without getting any answers or making any progress. These patients are trapped and lost in a maze. Well, Metasearch is here for those doctors and for those patients. Their motto is, we solve the unsolvable. Their process is rather simple. Dr. Trent Talbot, the founder, assigns a team of medical detectives, typically three MDs and one PhD, to each case. They research the latest breakthroughs and clinical trials, and they elicit the opinions of 10 to 15 world-leading experts per case. They purposefully seek out experts who will come at each case from a different perspective, the Bainesian method. Altogether, they will put in over 250 MD hours for every case. That means 500 times the amount of brain power that a typical doctor can afford to offer. Nobody can do what Metasearch does. Call 832-968-6667. That's 832-968-6667 to be in touch. You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. PCPs do not have a lobby anymore worthy of the company of the American Hospital Association or PHRMA known as Pharma or AHIP or any of the other bigs that are uber well financed in that machinery called lobbying. The bigs in healthcare dwarf the lobbies of big tech, big defense even, Wall Street even, and big oil even, and in fact, all four combined. So primary care and physician lobbies sit at the kids' table at any feast. The AMA once fought tobacco and won, but those days have long been forgotten as they currently clip coupons licensing CBT code guidebooks. Membership is at 12% of all doctors here in Houston, Medical City, USA. Kind of a sham. Any physician bailout is the problem if docs did have deep-pocketed voice because 70% of the primary care doctors are system-owned. So they basically got a Marshall Plan when the hospitals got a bailout. Optum and hospital systems today are snapping up the remaining PCPs as efficiently and quickly and quietly as they can. Yet monopolies, and the bigs are all monopolies by definition, are acting very badly how they're going about this gaming. Here's one way. They won't reimburse the independent PCPs for telehealth here in Texas. Suddenly, about a week ago, the independent PCPs were told you're cut off from insurance reimbursement for telehealth. Do you think that's a good thing to have during a COVID crisis, telehealth? Well, maybe your state, it's happened too. But three of the five, all on the same day, said no more reimbursements. But they're independent. So that's for the independents. But for the system-owned, they all still get reimbursed on telehealth. You think that sounds fair? Doesn't sound fair to me. That's a class action lawsuit waiting to happen. I hope some lawyer gathers the independents together to talk about that. 
The big PBMs, or all majors owned by big insurers, are also weakly squeezing dozens of independent pharmacies out of existence with similar gaming. Unfair pricing of popular drugs. So if you like getting your Humarin, maybe you can't get it at your independent. You certainly can down the street at the big. And they are also asking for recouped payments made over the years for no real reasons. Because they can. And I've seen it myself. Because that's what monopoly power breeds, gaming the system. Schoolyard bullies are kinder because at least they leave you alive with your heart beating. Today, you're going to meet an unusual guest who's going to make you think completely differently about a patient history file especially thick and deep files. So, complex cases. And her worldview came from feeling invisible with her own complex medical history. So, she re-envisioned patient histories into an elegant graphics that an eighth grader could decipher. Katie McCurdy of Pictal Health, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me. So, tell us a little bit about your journey that led to this, because what I want to describe to the listener is impossible. They're going to have to actually go on to the show notes and look at some of the graphs that you've created. Um, but it looks like a stack of books next to each other. So let's say somebody's 50 years old. There might be 50 books stacked next to each other. And then underneath, you're going to have some coding, color codes that say, here's what happened medically. And then above that, here's what happened in their personal life. And it's just literally, you can go down and you can see different diagnoses, different uh, prescriptions, nutraceuticals that were tried, meditation, uh, as this is going on in the life graph, you can see what's going on in their personal life with their stresses and their strains and their marriage and their divorce. It's just really an elegant way, instead of going through hundreds of pages, to see in one snapshot what the heck is going on. What led you to this? Yeah, sure. So so basically, um, what I've been working on, like you said, is a way to use um, kind of data visualization and visualization of information to really condense someone's whole health history into one view. And this really did come from my own experience as a complex patient. Um, I've had uh, at least two autoimmune conditions since I was a teen. Um, so that's over, over 25 years now. And um, I found myself uh, having a bunch of new symptoms about 10 years ago and really jumping around from doctor to doctor, trying to get answers and really not getting any answers. Um, and, and not kind of each specialist would pass me off to the next specialist. And so I finally made an appointment with a really expensive holistic doctor who didn't take health insurance and um, decided to create a timeline of my health history to bring to him and, and really walk through my story and have it all on one page so he could really understand what I'd been through. So that was an, an early prototype of uh, these health history timelines that I've been working on, and that was 2011. So um, today, uh, you know, I've, I've had this company, Pictal Health, for two years, and I've gone through a very intensive process with 55 people now to work with them to visualize and help them explain their stories in a more visual way with their doctors. Just like me, the, the people who I've been working with have very complex health histories, often uh, rare disease, uh, mysterious diseases, or kind of misunderstood conditions like Lyme disease. Um, a lot of people have autoimmune conditions. So um, it's really the, the type of patient who gravitates toward this is the patient who isn't getting answers, isn't feeling heard, and is really having some confusing and not typical symptoms. 
you know, we're going to have as a future guest, Dr. Al Miller, there's about seven doctors or epidemiologists that understand Lyme disease. But apparently, Katie, at some time in history, and it might have been the mid 80s, the marker they had to me measure Lyme disease was incorrect. And it turns out that Lyme disease has converted, if untreated, into a ton of autoimmune diseases. And, you know, I call them the, the name brand autoimmune diseases. They're all named after somebody, Hodgkin's, you've got uh, Hashimoto's, whoever discovered it, basically the name is named after Luke Gehrig's, is named after the famous baseball player. But apparently Lyme disease can morph into a lot of other autoimmune diseases if it's untreated for a long time. Do, do you think that's might have been what happened to you and some of these other folks? I mean, I really have no idea about that. I have heard that theory and I have no expertise in that area. I, I did grow up in the woods of Michigan, so it's entirely possible that I have, um, you know, I had Lyme disease at some point. I don't think my symptoms line up with some of the chronic Lyme type of patients that, um, that I've worked with who have really such a constellation of, of very troubling with neurological and uh, just so many different symptoms. So I'm, I'm fortunate. So what is the reaction people give you when you finally are able to show them their life medical history on one page? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I work with people who've had a really long history, a, a very difficult and long history of medical problems and, and often sometimes, you know, mental health problems too. And when I first started doing this, I was I, I was anxious when I would first show them the timeline of their whole life history, basically. Um, I was anxious that it would be troubling to them, but I actually found just the opposite, that they felt um, empowered. They tend to feel heard and seen. So that's, those are the type of words they say. A person I just worked with said she felt witnessed. And for a lot of these people, um, they, they experience invisible symptoms, just like I did. And that's part of the reason that I wanted to, to use visuals to explain what had happened with me. Um, so because their symptoms are invisible, they find that people don't believe them. And that can be healthcare practitioners, but even also their family and their friends. Uh, it's really hard for other people to take invisible symptoms seriously. So when you can map it all out, and really take the time to do that. I think it helps other people take you more seriously and help you be believed. So my son was a resident at one of the Harvard hospitals a few years ago, and he had the time to go through a thick file, and he found an original clue in the, let's call the body, the crime scene, you know, the, in, in his CSI, he found the original clue that everybody had missed over the years and sort of papered over, and they were able to resolve the person's complex situation rather, rather quickly because that initial infection was ignored and it, and it just compounded and it looked worse than it actually was. Have some physicians been able to resolve conditions because they can finally have clarity and insight with this visual? Yeah, so I have definitely had some, some really positive stories like that where, you know, I've been working directly with patients so far um, and then the patient brings these visuals to the doctor. But there have been cases where a doctor can look at this visual and often kind of see what the patient has already tried and that leads them to, to try something else or see that certain testing hasn't yet been done and so they can do that testing. Um, so I, I would say in about, I think I've heard like five cases where a patient has used the, these timelines to directly get to a diagnosis and the right treatment. Um, 
you know, just because of, of those reasons. Like the doctor can, can look back in time more effectively. They don't have to ask as many questions and kind of the patient can be more proactive in presenting their history in a way that the doctor can absorb. I'm going to imagine some doctors are going to poo-poo this and they're going to say, well, I see Chinese herbs on here, but I don't know how much they took or in what combination. I see, you know, uh, stuff in here that may not be even reflective of the accurate of their memory. How accurate are these memories compared to the actual patient history files? Yeah, yeah. So this is really, really interesting. The first, first point, I haven't heard of doctors poo-pooing this um, nearly as often as you might think. Maybe, you know, I've heard maybe one or two cases where someone brought their timeline into like a, like a 10 minute urgent care appointment. It's just not really the time or place and the doctor didn't want to take the time with it. Just sort of understandable. Um, so I did a 10 patient project last summer with the VA here in Vermont where I live. And I worked with 10 veterans who actually have memory problems along with other complex health issues. And so I went through this process of, basically my process is interviewing the person, the patient very carefully. And that's the primary way I get information. So I'm not usually you know, referencing and sifting through health records. I go through about a two hour, one and a half to two hour interview with people. And I've been actually shocked and surprised at how accurate these health histories turn out. So um, with this 10 patient project with the VA, uh, we, the, the doctor actually had access, of course, to the patient's records. And so he compared the, um, what we had put together, our timeline, to the patient's record and found that, you know, he, he found that it was like very similar. And the one thing that I've found is difficult for patients to remember is all the different medications they might've tried for a certain, you know, for a certain problem. They might've tried four or five things before they found the, you know, the one that worked. And it's hard to remember those medication names. So that's the one place I think, um, you know, it would be beneficial to import that data. Um, well, it would be beneficial either way to import data from health records, but um, regardless, these histories are very accurate coming from the patients. So the way I see this really scaling is that if you have a way to scale this so that patients are entering the information in, and, it's not, and it's going into a digital record of some kind that converts into these, these pictures, um, I would imagine that there's got to be 10,000 people with Katie McCurdy's exact same BMI, you know, uh, age, background, health history. Uh, yes, we're all unique snowflakes. We're all unique fingerprints. But there's got to be 10,000 avatars of you, of people that would love to know what your journey looked like if you succeeded and beat this thing. And that's the value of what, what you're doing is we can now take um, groupings of people and find out what is actually working longitudinally um, and what is suddenly working all of a sudden that is going to create uh, value for the patients that are just miserable. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, um, there's value overall in aggregating these stories and learning from, um, you know, the aggregate. So not only from what's working for people, but also, you know, what's in their history that might have given a clue um, that maybe we didn't realize was a clue. So, you know, what are the similarities and what are the differences in these journeys? And um, so I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of value in looking at these health histories all together um, and just, you know, exploring and seeing what we can learn from that. 
you know, I've only been watching the health scene for about a decade, but I've not really seen anything quite like this. I have seen a one-page patient file that shows the blood type and it shows their, you know, alleles. And it's, in other words, if somebody wants to quickly look at the human body, it's got like a human outline and it's got all the various um, medical, the medications, the last offices, the vaccines. But I've never seen anything what you've done, which is a timeline of 50 years of pretty much everything going on in their life that allows a trajectory, shows a trajectory and is, is it's story. You're, you've got, you basically got a storyline is what you created, a storyboard. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it has some similarities with the personal health records that were popular 10 or 15 years ago. But, um, you know, I did this for myself, really looking at my entire life story because there were things that happened. For instance, my first autoimmune diagnosis happened when I was 13. So I wanted to include that on this timeline. And I think there are, you know, clues or hints or um, life events or, you know, things that are relevant, even though they happened a long time ago. We don't see those in our health record. Um, so it is, you know, it's helpful to see the entire life journey of a person. And then uh, we talked a little bit, you mentioned this in your intro, um, in addition to typical kind of health record type of information like diagnoses, surgeries, and medications, I include life events and we size the life events so that the more stressful they are, the bigger they are. So you could see how, you know, very stressful, uh, for example, divorce might have impacted someone's health uh, moving forward. And then I also map out with people their symptoms over time. And these aren't symptoms that they've carefully tracked over the years. It's really based on their memory of when their symptoms flared up and when they got better. And again, this is something that I'm, um, I'm very impressed by how much people remember about these actually very important milestones in their life. Oh, if, if this was in every patient file, instead of having to go through electronic health records for a ridiculous amount of time, or glancing at something and really just getting a cursory look at a patient that's got a complex case. This really gives them, I mean, it takes all of two minutes to go through this 50 year olds uh, file to figure out what's going on here. And I might have some additional questions like, okay, it looks like they started when they were 12 years old. Were they walking in the Michigan woods, you know, like you were um, maybe at risk for Lyme disease. And so doctors love this kind of stuff, kind of CSIing the, 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 the case, but trying to do it in a quick fashion, which that's the gift you're giving them is you're allowing them to do it with just a picture instead of having to go through reading, you know, basically born peace. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's so painful, and I've I've seen what notes look like in the medical record. It's so painful to flip back and forth through, you know, years worth of notes just to try and find a couple pieces of information. So, um, yeah, this is trying to take some of that burden off of doctors and. When I've, you know, I've shown this to many different doctors over the years, and usually the first thing they say is, I want this for all my patients, or why doesn't my medical record look like this? So I think they, they see the value um, in kind of preventing this additional kind of administrative and work of digging through the record. So yeah, I think it, it could be hugely helpful for doctors. I had a, a doctor who's uh, at Stanford whose patient I worked with said, this gave her the map to a person, and then she knew where to zoom in and ask more questions. So. It is a map. It's a lifeline. It's a map. It's a 3D map. Uh, they, the most famous um, graphic of all time shows 
Napoleon's army marching on to ultimately what was his Waterloo and how the, I mean, he lost this battle and lost this thickness in the arrow and then it got thinner and thinner and these people deserted and basically had no army left by the end of Waterloo. This is kind of that same vibe. It gives you timelines, diagnoses, tests, um, feelings, um, what part of the body was affected. It's really, again, folks, this is one of those rare radio shows that just doesn't translate well on sound as much as you've got to go see the visuals of what I'm talking about and what Katie's done. So I just, I want to congratulate you on thinking this through. This is really, I can see something that would benefit any doctor, as you said, it will benefit any patient with a complex case. How do people find you, Katie, if they want help with diagramming their situation? Yes. So um, the best place to learn more is to go to Pictal Health. It's P-I-C-T-A-L health.com. And um, I have turned a lot of my focus now toward a more scalable uh, kind of web-based application. I've actually been doing these these uh, health histories by hand, and it's a pretty labor-intensive process. So I've been turning a lot of my focus toward a more scalable technology, but I still uh, work with individuals from time to time. And is this your full-time gig? Um, this is, it has been my full-time gig. I am also a uh, user experience designer working in healthcare, and so I also do some side work as a designer. Okay. And um, uh, if you could fly a banner over America with one message that Americans should read about their healthcare, what would that say? Ooh. Um, just, I think, visualize it. I mean, that's my, my big goal is to help make the invisible visible with, with healthcare. Very nice. Okay, well, Katie, thank you. We'll stay in touch with you. And I hope this time we talk next year, you might have 155 or 255 or 155,000. So that would be great. This would be great if this could scale up because of maybe this show. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So welcome to Just a Hospital Minute. We are adding these segments for one minute at the end of every show to tell you some of the games that hospitals play. For example, did you know that Urgent Care is a giant hub and spoke game? That means that urgent care, which has well-insured customers coming in the door, is basically a way to feed folks into a hospital because not only do they pay well, but if they're system-owned, they can charge quadruple what an independent would charge at a primary care clinic or double what an urgent care would cost if it wasn't associated with a hospital. So the rates are good, money's good, but more importantly, this is a feeding frenzy for hospitals to send people to unnecessary tests, unnecessary treatment, overutilization, we call it. So this is just another hospital minute. Thanks again to our sponsor, the MediSearch Institute. I want to read you a note a CEO friend of mine sent me who used them for a rare childhood disease her daughter had. Dr. Talbot's research was thorough. He provided clear paths of treatment, and he gave me access to the best physicians. I'm so grateful for his work. That's the MediSearch Institute. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.